He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Go. Okay, so we're live. Uh, this is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. We have today a special guest I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, Dr. Quajo Chermatin. Phil, are you are you impressed with me pronouncing it that way? I am, and I'm not going to try and uh, recreate it. So, okay. So for those incredible. of you, for those of you who are who are reading his name, you're going to say, "Oh, Jack, you pronounced it wrong." But I did not, did I? You nailed it. I told you earlier. My mom would be so proud of you throwing that down. There's like. 22 million Guineans that would are cheering in the hearing you pronounce that they're Jack, you're a legend right now. Well, my, my, uh, mastery of Guinean is, is legendary. Uh, so. <laughs> okay, Phil, tell us why this dude's on, on your show. Uh, well, as you can already tell, he's a lot of fun. So that's uh, reason number one. Um, he is a, uh, and I'll let him do the full introduction, but he is a uh, critical care physician uh, north of the border uh, in Canada. And I was uh, just real fortunate to meet him at a uh, conference uh, not too long ago. And, you know, we got to talking and um, Quajo has the mindset, you know, that we talk about so much on this show and uh, the outside the box thinking when it comes to uh, lots of things uh, around medicine and nutrition, and I'm going to be excited to dig into all that with them. Uh, but uh, first, uh, let's give Quajo a chance to introduce himself to the audience and tell us a little bit about what he's been up to. Oh, man. Well, I'll just tell you straight up, Phil, you, that intro was legendary. I feel like I can't do a can't do any better than that. But yeah, essentially, I'm an ICU doctor at the border department head at the Ottawa Hospital, uh, host a podcast myself called Solvent Healthcare. And um, what got me into this space was um, being was the, was the pandemic and seeing how metabolic disease was a huge driver of poor outcomes. Mm. And when you, did, when you start to dig into people like learning on ways that people can reverse disease, which is foreign to me. And that's why when I heard Phil on a podcast and hearing his story, and we just had so much in common that, that idea that we, it was novel to hear how you could reverse type two diabetes and, and, and with all these uh, different uh, lifestyle approaches and seeing the benefit for himself and for his patients I, I just got super passionate about this. And yeah, so for me, it was really the the pandemic that was a big driver in, in terms of learning about a lot of this content. And I, I also do a lot of research on healthcare utilization, like looking at ways to reduce healthcare spending. And so I, I do a lot of focus within ICU. So different medication, different approaches to care, how you save money that way and improve outcomes. But then when I look at this most the most efficient way of saving dollars is preventing them from landing in the ICU. Really, if you can prevent yourself from walking in the door and not, you know, uh, get uh, significantly dis disabled, um, malnourished, uh, have your, the mental health issues that many of our patients have, and that kind of overall, uh, you know, the impact that you have on, on your own family because they have to take time off work, all these things, if you can prevent them from walking in the door, that's where the money's at. And so when when even the title of, uh, you know, the Phil's book and everything, when I, when we got a chance to sit down in Santa Barbara, I'm like, this is this is my man right here. This is my boy. And so uh, we had to we had to connect. Yeah, definitely. Let's, uh, you know, a lot to jump into, but let's start with, you know, your podcast is called Solving Healthcare. And uh, it's a great podcast, certainly recommend it to uh, everyone. Uh, but 
you know, tell us about the title. You know, what yeah, are you trying to solve? I, exactly. There? I was wondering the same thing. Well, the thing, Phil and Jack, it was you when you are involved in healthcare, you you realize it is extremely inefficient. There's uh, uh, there's so much to remedy. You know, the delivery of care, uh, uh, as I mentioned, the efficiencies, um, the lack of innovation. There's just so many gaps. And so my my whole purpose was to kind of empower the healthcare provider, empower the, the, the patients to say, hey, there's a lot you could do for yourself. There's a lot you could do to improve your situation, what you eat, uh, exercise. Um, in, in terms of healthcare providers, how do we educate our patients? Like, how do we, how do we reach them? How do we, you know, have that individualized approach to medicine and, and, and give people the tools to be able to provide better care. And, and so it really, uh, a lot of it is awareness, like putting, putting a lens on some of our, our soft spots and then having that discussion on how we remedy these things. And I'm a doer. Like I, I, I you know, I recently started as a department head at our, 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 for our department of critical care. And the whole, my whole mandate is to, we're, we're going to make some changes. We're going to improve care delivery. We're going to be more efficient. We're going to reach out uh, to more of our patients and provide a better care than we are providing now. And so like, you know, that's the, that's the anthem yeah. of the show. You know, you've got two classes of listeners to this show you've got folks like me who just a guy who's interested in being healthy but no healthcare background and then you've got healthcare professionals um so i would like to ask a question as a guy to two healthcare practitioners about what you just said you're you're in an icu an intensive care unit um and you you've had this revelation that the best way to have better outcomes is to never end up in the ICU. And the best way to never end up in the ICU goes back to what Dr. Ovedia talks about metabolic health. I would, I would like each of you to comment about, and I want to be careful how, how I frame this because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but, but that perspective is not uh, it, the majority opinion amongst healthcare providers. How does that affect your practice of medicine? Each of you, I'm I'm interested from both of you. Should I, should I jump first? Go um, ahead. Yeah. Guy. So, I mean, this is why we're this is why we're having the conversation now. Like, I, I think. This is not common practice. It's not a common mindset of, of of really focusing on prevention. A lot of our studies, our lectures, our treatments, everything is surrounded by sick care. Like, how do you deal with the patient when they're sick? And don't get me wrong. This is vitally important. You know, I, I got off ICU yes, yesterday and we resuscitated a bleeding patient and our skills is what saved that life to be able to you know, you, you know, intubate, put lines in and do all the things that the patient needed. Super important. But the question is, let's talk root cause. Let's talk about why that patient landed there. What can we do to prevent that from happening? And it's a pivot. And this is why platforms like this about going on, doing, doing a podcast, doing, going on social media and talking about these issues, in my opinion, can serve to to inspire, to, to bring awareness to some of these issues. And the thing about someone like Phil and myself, we got the street cred. We've seen the damage that, that people go through when they land on his table or they land in ICU. So that voice is so important. And my, my goal is to motivate other clinicians to see the same, like really realistically ask yourself, why is the patient landing here? Like we've given up in so many ways. We've just said, oh, you know what? They're diabetic. Let's add some more insulin. Let's add more and more insulin, even though this is making them more, um, you know, perpetuating the problem. Let's start 
thinking again. Like mm. I, I feel like we've lost the ability to think critically and take mm. a step back and say, what is actually happening here? And let's look at this root cause and attack it that way. And, uh, you know, it starts now. It starts with conversations like we're having today. Well, yeah, I, I think that's- I, I want to I want to know: Are you getting static from within the 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 healthcare industry for taking this stand? I know Phil does. You, you know, maybe I guess one of one of the approaches that we've done, like one of the reasons I my research program is focused on cost savings is because that's the currency no pun intended that people the decision makers like so when yeah. you could show that an intervention will reduce spending it's hard for them to to ignore that it's hard for them to say no to a an approach it's you know and frankly I, i'm i'm sick and tired like i don't care what people think like mm. you know like when we often we talk about uh like one of the things that I don't know if you've experienced much of much of this feel is when you, when you talk about the poor metabolic health amongst our patients. Like when I was saying, like we were seeing tons of obese COVID patients, and people would be like, "You stop fat shaming." I'm like, "It's not fat shaming; it's reality." If I was obese and I want and I wanted and and I and if clinician had a chance to tell me this is a this is a risk factor for landing in a hospital with COVID. I would want to know this. Okay. And that was my approach. Like, and so you could say all you want. I mean, you can't please everybody. There's going to be haters no matter what you say. But I got to, at the end of the day, look at myself in the mirror and say, am I making the right call here? Am I making the right uh, statements? And I have no problem approaching it this way. Yeah. You know, I I agree, you know, and I think that physicians, uh, have abdicated their responsibility, you know, on many fronts. And, you know, we saw it with the pandemic and we see it with the whole metabolic health issue. And, you know, this whole uh, concept that physicians shouldn't or physicians can't help people to be healthy um, Mm. is just, you know, mind blowing. I mean, you know, people, you know, I, I get pushback. Uh, because I'm trying to keep people off my operating table. And, you know, it's like, well, isn't that what every doctor should be trying to do? You know, every doctor should be trying to make themselves less busy uh, because that means that people are staying healthy and people don't need (laughs) our, you know, uh, services as much. And and that really should be the goal. And, And really, you know, from the healthcare system perspective, that should be the goal. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd actually like to hear your perspective because, you know, you're in the Canadian system, yeah. um, which is a socialized uh, system. And so, you know, there is a, uh, a set pool of resources that can be used and that needs to be distributed amongst, you know, all of the people who are using healthcare services, whereas opposed to here in the United States, you know, we are driven uh, our healthcare system is driven by revenue. The more we do, uh, you know, the more everyone makes and the happier everyone is. Uh, so mm. there may not be that same incentive to keep people <laughs> from needing um, healthcare. But, you you know, it would seem that a system, you know, like uh, Canada has, like the UK has, uh, you know, they should be very much in tune with these preventative efforts because that fits in their model perfectly. So I'd really like to hear what your perspective has been on that, you know, from the uh, Canadian healthcare system. It's a great point, Phil. Like, I think people are, the buy in on paper, you know, they, they like the idea of making a walk, your city more walkable, may, having more access to uh, quality foods, um, really thinking about being more active, all these things on paper, people want to see. The problem is it t- for, for any government that lasts usually about four years, a lot of this in- upfront investment takes years to s- pay dividends. And so, you know, they're, they're trying to make, you know, their, their, their focus is on how do we reduce surgical waste wait times? How do we improve cancer screening and all these things, which are obviously are really important, but 
I think a lot of the attention is still on the acute care because they want to be able to show some impact in a four-year cycle. So it's still well-received. It's just a matter of of us being a little bit more uh, long-sighted, um, a far-sighted, I should say. <laughs> but um, it, like, for example, a classic thing that we see in hospitals frequently is, I, I always say one of the most important allied health professionals is, is your physiotherapist. And unfortunately, what, when the, what's a physiotherapist? What's that? So a physiotherapist do? is a, 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 a healthcare provider that helps you rehabilitate to get you stronger again, okay. to get you out of bed, to get you breathing better. And unfortunately, they're one of the first like, positions that get cut often when budgets are tight. And in my opinion, they're going to get you out of hospitals quickly. They're going to get you out of hospital faster than if you didn't see a physiotherapist. I see the magic of their job daily in, in acute care and in, in the intensive care unit. But we okay. want to balance that budget. So, uh, so, so to answer Phil's question directly, there is engagement. It's just we're not seeing the, the level of commitment that mm. is going to really put a dent into things yet, yet, yet. So I'd, I'd love to hear <laughs> what Phil's doing. It, this stay off my operating table stuff exists entirely outside of how he practices medicine. When Phil's practicing medicine, he's got a scalpel in his hand and somebody's laying on a table. Um, so this, this, this mantra of get metabolically healthy really has, it doesn't involve his practice of medicine. I'm saying that right. Aren't I, Phil? Um, in somewhat. Yeah. I mean, obviously when I'm doing surgery, you know, uh, that's, uh, it, that's a whole different thing than trying to keep people from having surgery. Well, I realize that and, what you're doing when is, they come is to a, me, yeah, a yeah. type of care. When they come to me for surgery, it's time to do the surgery and, and do yeah. the best job we can do with that. And then, uh, you know, my hope is after that, we can then address what led to them needing the surgery in the first place. Okay. Well, that probably dovetails with the question I want to ask Quajo is, which is in the ICU, how does this, this message of get mod metabolically healthy, um, manifest in how you practice and in the type of care that's delivered, um, I've heard horror stories from Phil. I don't remember if we've talked about them on air or off about walking into a patient's room after he's done surgery and seeing this, this carbohydrate bomb sitting on their, on their cafeteria, on their, their I was tray. just going to say that. Okay. Well, yeah. I, you know, how's, how does this, this, how does metabolic health, how do you deliver that in the ICU? What's what's step one and how does it work its way through? So, Jack, I'm going to unfortunately not have great news for you, but it, it, it doesn't play out easily like it. You know, our really the priority when our patients walk in, come through is just really like often they're on the brink of death. So we're right. we're trying all our, we can to recover them. But as they're getting better, my personal opinion is where where we could benefit is how we feed our patients, for example, and and just represent the change we want to see. So, for example, I think, you know, you hit the nail there, Jack, like we feed our patients like the the food. So when you're in the intensive care unit, you obviously can't eat. So what we do is we put a tube that goes from your nose into your stomach and then we put uh we put nutrition in that way and it is heavily it's he, it's heavy in seed oil it's heavy in carbohydrates and we just accept that as the norm and as you're as you're getting better if you're getting you're able to eat your your own food or whatever it's it's not going to be the healthiest thing you've ever seen it's going to be focused on carbohydrates i've seen even some diabetic menus i, I swear i've seen french toast on there um and 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 so I think this is where I want to see us pivot is, you know, when, as you're leaving, as you're getting better, that we we have that kind of educational piece and, and give less pro-inflammatory food. Like, ironically, Jack, when you land in, in, in hospital 
or specific, specifically in the intensive care unit for most reason, it's driven by inflammation. COVID, like, for example, you come in with COVID in, in the second wave, third wave. If I were to swab your, your, your lungs and try and find COVID, you probably won't, wouldn't find a live cell, a live virus. But it's just the inflammation response is what caused you to be so sick. Same with pneumonia, same with even uh, uh, other uh, like brain conditions, all driven by inflammation. And mm. what we do, we feed you pro-inflammatory foods. So we've, we've we're, our research group is starting wow. to kind of push the idea of seeing if we could, for example, have uh, uh, some fasting time during uh during the care in the intensive care unit seeing if that would have any impact we're also uh looking at a lower carbohydrate uh um uh, feed to see if that could maybe have a more positive impact on patient outcomes all this is very slow moving but it's on our agenda but uh it's going to be a while before the needle is moved on this one though unfortunately Phil, yeah, throw the ball over to you. I want to hear the same comment. Com well, comment yeah, on the same I mean, question. I think um, you know, similar uh, to what I was talking about around surgery. You know, the other opportunity is uh, for us as physicians to have that conversation with the patients, with the families about why did you get here. You know, not just oh, you have mm. COVID or oh, you have pneumonia. You know, but what was the root cause for that? And we, we just don't do that as physicians. You know, we, uh, you know, you could say we're too busy trying to save your life. Uh, you know, uh, it's certainly, you know, when I'm in there doing the heart surgery, um, you know, my focus is the heart surgery and no one expects me to then sit down with the family and say, you know, okay, we did the heart surgery. We got you through that. We have basically put a band-aid on the problem so it's not going to be as you know a life-threatening issue for you anymore but if we don't talk about why you got here in the first place you're going to end up back here and mm -hmm. you know uh Quadro certainly knows that you know patients who are in the ICU once are at high risk of ending up in the ICU again uh and it can be for the same problem it can wow. be for different problems uh but the fact that you ended up in the ICU means that you have, uh, you know, significant underlying health issues. And then you got something on top of that, that, you know, tipped you over the edge. And now you ended up, you know, in critical care. Uh, but if you don't address the underlying problems, something else is going to come along and tip you over again. And you're going to end up back in the critical care unit. So what are the What's happening in medical care, and and here's where my ignorance of the entire thing is going to to display itself. But as a guy who's been interested in in <laughs> staying out of hospitals and staying off of operating tables for a long time, I'm deeply interested in in how this message <laughs> will get through. Is it getting through? What's happening to get it through? Is it, are these podcasts and these kinds of things, is this the best way to make it happen? Um, is it starting to, to propagate throughout the system? Are you seeing progress from your colleagues? How is this working? I mean, I must say this is one of the unintended blessings of COVID is that really it was undeniable that this was a huge driver mm -hmm. and a lot of people were, you know, because of how scary now, now, COVID was undeniable by who was it? Was it the people there working in ICU who could just, it was just obvious as healthcare providers for oh, metabolic health is uh, that's who, yeah, it was a good question. So it, all like the healthcare providers by the medical literature, like now it's very well established studies showing a link between me poor metabolic health and, and uh, COVID outcomes. And, you know, this has been the center of attention for so long that, yeah, you know, it, it just, this is one of the, the spinoffs is, is how do we get 
healthy? How do we talk? Why, why is it so important to get us healthier? And then on top of things, Jack, over the last whatever, a couple of years as well, people have gotten worse in terms of their metabolic health. Right. You know, they could say the COVID 15 or 20 pounds that a lot of people added on, you know, it's, you know, I recently even had a patient that just, you hear these stories about, you know, when they isolated themselves and, uh, and just haven't been able to get back to where they were. And so, you know, I, I do think the, the message is getting out there. I think it's trickling down. I, I do think, um, by these, uh, uh, but these formats, by even presenting some of this stuff in medical conferences, formal medical conferences, I think it's it's hard to deny. And 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 automatically, when you when you present this kind of data, people always have. It's our nature to say like, what are the solutions? You know, even though sure. we might not be asking about root causes, but people will still be asking like, what do we do? So you know, is this enough to move the needle? I don't know, but. Uh, I I know personally up here in, in Canada, we've been highly motivated. I, you know, I've connected with as many public health fi- figures as I can to talk about these issues. Uh, I've encouraged them to talk about, for example, uh, making our city more walkable, making it un- in vogue to talk about health and wellness. Um, you live in you live in. In Canada, it's cold in the winter. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to walk. Oh my goodness! Come but, on. You oh. know, I, I make the joke because I'm like oh. the only. Uh, I, I don't know how PC this is, but I'm I'm the only black person I've ever seen cross country ski. Uh, but it's like <laughs> when in Rome, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, didn't mean to know, take us it, off course there, but I hate <laughs> cold weather. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is pretty uh, challenging to to keep moving in the winter. But, you know, as as Phil, I'm sure, would allude to, there's other things. Like in the winter, if you're not outside, you know, maybe we're thinking about what we eat, making sure we have good connection with, with, with folks, um, you know, because all these things, are, I think, contribute to our overall well-being. Uh, get to the gym if you can. I'm a huge fan of resistance training, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping this movement is, is moving the needle and uh, certainly it's not slowing me down regardless. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, I would just say that uh, I'm optimistic by, um, you know, seeing the increased presence of doctors at, you know, some of the conferences, the metabolic health Mm. conferences, the low card conferences, um, you know, just seeing the number of physicians uh, online that uh, I I interact with now and, you know, that uh, are contributing to the conversation. And we look at the organizations like the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners, um, which is doing a great job of, of bringing together the physicians that are interested in this and getting resources uh, for those physicians to draw upon. So that certainly gives me hope. I think on the patient side of things, you know, for the people, uh, they're increasingly getting the message as well, and the message is resonating with them. So, you know, I now have people who come to me, uh, you know, who end up, you know, seeing me um, as a heart surgeon, and they're already talking about, you know, metabolic health. And, Mm. and, uh, you know, some of them have read my book, a lot of them haven't. And, you know, they'll come to me and they'll be like, Oh, I know I have heart disease. And, you know, I've been reading and, you know, it's sugar uh, and carbohydrates that are causing this and we're, we're starting a low carb diet. Uh, and then, you know, so I, I do think the message is getting out there and I think it's getting to the people that need to hear it, but we certainly need to be doing a better job of it. And quite frankly, I think one of the biggest barriers that I see, um, which is the challenge, uh, you know, for, for Quadjo and I is that it's oftentimes other physicians who discourage patients from doing this. And, uh, you know, we have to try and, uh, increase the acceptance that at least this this is a valid treatment option uh, and get that acceptance from our colleagues uh, to be able to support these patients like can i give a quick example like if you were to ask i don't know a hundred docs 
including docs that specialize in diabetes, if you could reverse di- type two diabetes with uh, lifestyle modifications, low carb keto, or, or, or what have you, I don't, I don't think many of them would 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 think it's possible. I know I didn't, <laughs> and these are the these are the ones that are are managing the patients. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a there's still a lot of work to be done. That's for sure. So let's. You know, uh, I do want to get into uh, how you sort of came around to this quadro because it is so interesting that you you know you didn't really come at this from the nutritional standpoint. You were seeing all of these patients with COVID um, and seeing the effect that poor metabolic health had on them. And then, uh, you know, kind of tell us what happened from there uh, that got you got you here today. Yeah. So I guess what w- was, you know, it wasn't that in the first wave, we weren't getting a lot of information about risk factors and so forth, but it was abundantly clear within the first couple of weeks, like every single patient, uh, most of the patients are either extreme of age, immunocomp, like uh, have a poor immune system, or they have poor metabolic health and despite age. And so th- this was to me such a, a loud message to the point that even one of our docs, so one of our ICU docs lost 30 pounds uh, through, through, mostly uh, fasting and low carb because of what he was seeing on the front lines. Mm. Someone's at the front door. (laughs) This is live folks. (laughs) Because of what he was seeing on the front lines. And so as I'm, I'm seeing this, as I'm learning about, uh, um, about this. And then I start to, I start to interview some folks that are, that, we're mentioning things I never heard of reversing metabolic disease. Think about intermittent fasting, think about low carb. So I started to interview Jason Fung, Rob Wolf. Um, um, uh, sorry, I'm totally brain farting. Um, <laughs> what was his name? Yes. Sorry. Even physicians can brain fart. <laughs> um, diet doctor, Brett Sure. Yeah. Brett Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, why don't I know this? And why aren't we telling everybody this? This is the time is like the time is now. What I go, this is for vaccines. I'm like, want to reduce your chance of getting sick? Let's talk about getting healthy collectively. I was thinking the summer of 2020. What if that was a, the public health message? Get outside. Let's get healthy. Think about what we're eating. Think about focus on whole foods. Let's do this together. What a powerful message. You're going to reduce your risk of, of COVID, cardiovascular disease, strokes, cancer. All these things are being impacted by us being motivated to get healthy. What a beautiful movement that could be. But uh, it was crickets. It really was crickets. And so I was, you know, tell me, tell me we can't do something. Get me motivated. I was like, hell yeah, let's go. So, you know, coverage on the show, any new media outlet that would hear me out, I would, I would let them know what we're seeing. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's the thing. Like when, and, and so, you, you know, you do your own research, you do your own deep dive into some of these topics and it's hard not to get excited about it. It's hard not to, to not preach. And so I was a man possessed and uh, by no means have we put a significant dent in a lot of this, but you know, when you, have a platform and and you know this message can impact lives not only just the like the direct mm-hmm. patient but it when people get healthy it amplifies when you're loved when your loved one oh hey last time i saw you like you were like 30 pounds heavier you look so good what are you doing oh i you know i started to do some low carb uh have you listened to that podcast with uh dr phil you know what I mean? Like this is uh, this is what uh, we got to do, especially in light of COVID and all these things. Yeah, it just amplifies, and so that's a long-winded way of answering that. But it's just like uh, I, I I must say I was just it was so eye-opening. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe that people are reversing di- type two diabetes in weeks, in mm-hmm. weeks. 
And we're not talking about this. It's crazy. I still think it's crazy that it's not common knowledge. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you know, and the data, again, is out there. Verda, you know, has published their results. Yes. They've published now their, you know, their longer term results. Um, and, you know, that should have been front page, you know, on every newspaper. And it, like you said, it was crickets. I mean, it ended up in some, you know, in a journal that's uh, not as highly regarded. And there was no media coverage of it at all. And, you know, again, then you have to start asking the questions why that is. I mean, why wouldn't this be publicized? Why wouldn't uh, certain uh, institutions, let's say, you know, want this information to get out? Um, And, uh, you know, like I said, I think it's incumbent on us uh, as the physicians, you know, to step up. Uh, to take responsibility, to, you know, make sure that we are serving the patients first and foremost. And unfortunately, I think for a lot of physicians, if they took a long, hard look in the mirror, they wouldn't be able to say that. Amen. On, on behalf of the patients, let me just say thank you, guys. I love it that that's because, you know, the with with demand from the patient side, people like me, and supply from the physician side, people like y'all, the the external pressures that are keeping this message suppressed are are going to begin to to crumble and corrode and and fall away. And yes, it takes time, but um, I'm I'm just deeply appreciative that you guys are doing this. It's it's so much fun to see uh it, it's like it, it's gaining momentum you know we've been doing this podcast a little over a year phil is that right um and it's just extraordinary to see lives changed people transform themselves as a result of physicians like you and dr o exhibiting the the moral virtue of courage and standing up and saying hey this is the truth. I thank you. I, I appreciate it. That's very kind of you. I, I just, at the end of the day, I think Phil, you feel the same way. You got to be able to look yourself in the mirror. Like, you know, you, my, your compass for making decisions is in your values. And my values is always personally along do the right thing, justice, be courageous. And I, I, I know Phil has, has felt the same. We, we both had, have taken heat in different ways and yeah uh but at the end of the day i could i could honestly say we both could look at yourself ourselves in the mirror and say we we're, we're doing our best i would like to make it a little more personal i i, I only know you now at this point from the chest up but from what i can see you're fit yep yep he's fit farther down oh look at that got a gun show going on here folks um <laughs> Were, have you always taken care of your body? And and the reason I ask is because, you know, Phil's story. Yeah. He was an obese heart surgeon. So yeah. he had to he had a come to Jesus moment and had to had to take extraordinary steps to change his life. What about you? What's your story personally, physically? Yeah, to me, um, thanks for the question, because it's 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 actually being functional and fit and active has been just cultural for me it's been part of life i grew up playing hockey uh uh tons of sports growing up and a lot of hockey in ghana <laughs> actually well, i was I'm sorry uh, i i had to i had, had to, to, throw, that I had to throw that in <laughs> yeah but uh, i was bo- actually born and raised in edmonton which is a huge hockey town i don't know if you you know much Wayne about Gretzky. The, yeah there you go um yeah. so we, we had a lot of cups coming our way growing up but um the but being active and being able to perform was huge. Well, and you so couldn't for, have played hockey very long. You've got all your teeth. They're not real. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, at that age, you still played with a cage. <laughs> uh, but uh, the but yeah, being uh, active was so important, and always asking yourself how you can optimize performance and 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 be as 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 ready to play. And then after after you stop playing, you still want to be 
active. You still want to be able to, um, you know, go on that hike. You want to be able to ski with your friends. And so fitness and nutrition, sorry, fitness was always a priority. Nutrition wasn't a priority until you get to that age where I think it was residency, really, where you, you realize you can't just eat whatever you want anymore. And you realize, hey, what you're eating can affect your mood and your 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 uh, energy levels. And so I I started uh, probably probably soon after I finished residency to actually be more thoughtful in what I ate. So I, I maybe what wasn't fully low carb, but I would be lower carb. And then uh, about five years ago, I started intermittent fasting as a, you know, father of three, busy, busy uh, uh, lifestyle. Um, this was just the best way to maintain, I thought, my my, my weight. It was just a skip breakfast, time-restricted eating. Um, but yeah, my being, being mobile, being fit is, is like, is like, almost part of my identity, I feel. And so, uh, and, and I love it cause you know, I have three young sons and, and like we do everything together in terms of, you know, the, the oldest wants to work out with dad, you know, that you might hear some basketballs being, being shot outside or shoot, shooting the puck outside. Like we, we like to move, keep the, the boys moving. So it. it's, it's so important to me to be functional. And, uh, um, so yeah, that's, that's been a, a huge part of my life. I love it. And I could talk fitness and nutrition all day, all day. Was there an aha moment for you with your own, your own personal health and this revelation of metabolic health in the ICU, or was it all just kind of, did it just happen slowly and organically? What was yeah, it was it was a bit it was a bit organic. Like it was a bit slowly and uh, I guess it's it's relative. I guess it was in a matter of weeks, really. After being it's like pretty fast, when, yeah, fair enough. Like when you're in the ICU dealing with the COVID stuff, especially in that first wave, like we were all pretty frightened. Like I wasn't sure am I bringing COVID home. You see all this stuff happening in in, in New York and Italy. You're wondering, are we going to have a similar situation? So your head is there. And then as you've noticed, like you're protecting yourself, you're not bringing COVID home, you know, you're not seeing healthy people getting sick. That's when it started. When you got to reflect it, you start, the wheel started to turn. And, and, and really once you see it, as I said, you couldn't unsee it. And then, and then you hear about these ways of, reversing disease and so it was just it was almost like an obsession and you know i've I've done some modifications to my own diet over the since since being woke if you will in terms of let's uh, say awakened awakened yeah, we're you. gonna like leave the better. other word for other people yeah yeah i like i really like that um <laughs> but uh yeah it was uh like i've tried I, I tried two weeks of keto for example i didn't it didn't jive with me but uh you know, I've, I've I've maintained a lower carb approach. I've I continue to intermittent fast. I, I just I feel like my body's a well oiled machine on that way. I haven't done carnivore yet. I, I, I might want to try that um, just to see what it's like for for me. Like we have I, a resident expert, absolutely. Because one of the things Jack that also has been enlightening in my, in my opinion, and this took some time to really refine for me is thinking that really when it comes to nutrition it is personalized like what works for jack might not work for phil yeah. you know and and really trying to find what works best for you i think is where the expertise and and the what what makes a good condition not just having that cookie cutter approach saying everybody needs to be low carb or keto or you know it's what actually works best for jack and that was another um another enlightened uh revelation as as we i've been navigating through all this nutrition journey tell us about your podcast i love this that i love the uh, i'm i'm gonna say this and this information will be on the show notes but your twitter handle is well uh, <laughs> Quadcast. I love that. Yeah, there you go. 
tell us about your tell us about your quadcast. Yeah, I know. I appreciate uh, the love. It's spawned in 2019 as a and it came from our research plat uh, research program when we noticed that you know you're producing all these research papers, but nothing is moving the needle. Nothing's changing. So we like thought to ourselves, what's a way of amplifying some of these messages? And so we thought, hey, you know what? I like doing a I like I love podcasts. Let's try doing this. And I won't lie to you, Jack, ever since September 2019, my life has completely changed. The people I've met, the topics we've covered, uh, being department head, being on the board of governors for our kids hospital, starting a, a, a charity called Bridges Over Barriers with all spawned from spawned from the show, meeting Phil at the, the Metabolic Health Summit, all were derivatives of of being passionate about healthcare and talk about ways to empower patients and healthcare providers to provide optimal care and think outside the box. Remember again, to think critically and, and, and don't shy away from, from thinking outside the box and encourage thinking outside the box. That's what we're passionate about. And, and, uh, and honestly, I mean, you guys are about a year deep into this. And so you could probably say the same thing, but wow, what a life changing event from uh, deciding yeah. to to go on this journey. It's been huge for me. And I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm the talking hairdo. It's <laughs> so much fun. Um, Isn't it? So who's the target? Yeah. Who, who's going to enjoy your, sorry, Phil, I'm, I'm yammering here. Who's, who's the target audience for your podcast? Is it healthcare pr- practitioners? Is it average Joe's like me? What is it? The, the, the ideal uh population that we we were targeting is healthcare providers but we speak in that language that you know your mom can understand what we're throwing down like i i really wanted to make it universal language even though the topics i really want to target healthcare providers because in my opinion they're amplifiers if you have a family doc all of a sudden that buys into low carb wow that's like how many patients now that can be impacted so you know, when that's when we, when we marketed the show is to medical students, residents, family docs, uh, nurse practitioners, all the, the, the people that could potentially, we call it on the show, changing the boogie. You know what I mean? Like changing, changing the, the narrative. Boogie. Yeah, I love it. The boogie. Yeah. yeah. Getting, you know, getting to uh, medical students, I think is a huge part of this, getting to oh the my. early career physicians. Um, so, yeah, what, how do you encourage your colleagues to think outside the box? You know, you're a leader, you're a department chair. Um, how, you know, but so much of the training in medicine these days, so much of the mindset is staying within the lines, you know, evidence-based and following the guidelines. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think we can be doing to get our colleagues to think outside the box more? So there's there's two things two approaches that I, 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 that I, I, I use to try and get more of us to think outside the box. One is just constantly asking tough questions. You know, you, like when it comes to cholesterol, for example, if you, if you just ask the tough questions and say like, what study are you referring to? And I'm like, have you looked at that study? You, why don't we go over it and, and, and show me where you think, you know, uh, these cholesterol figures really are, are uh, correlate with poor outcomes, like really pushing the envelope. And, and then at, and at the end of the day saying like, well, maybe it's not as obvious as we, we think it is, or the picture isn't as clear as we, as we think it is. That's number one. Number two, I'm, I don't know if it's lazy or what. I just, I just act. I just like try and be the example. I'll, I'll be like, yes, you're hearing this, uh, you hear what these problems are. I often will tr- propose or do a pilot project to, to try and prove that our approach will work. Uh, mm. I, I just lean on action over like trying to change people's mind through, uh, you know, yeah, verbally. data. I, yeah, data. Yeah. I just, let's, you know, when I say like, I hear you, we're just going to do this. We're going to hustle. We're going to show that it's going to be effective. And, uh, and, and always, as I mentioned before, have a cost twist on it. Show that whatever we're doing is going to save money and improve lives. So uh, that brings back a question that I I wanted to ask earlier, but didn't. You talked about your research 
are you're actually conducting studies in the ICU? Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. So that's uh, I had no idea that was even a thing. Oh yeah, big time. Like um, you know, even uh, there's approaches to say when if you were, uh, had COVID or pneumonia, there's ways that we know to settings on the ventilator that we know that will improve your likelihood of survival. Um, so, you know, studies have been done on that. Studies have been done on types of medication. If you're really sick with uh, an infection, uh, this, you know, different medications, infu med medical uh, infusions um, to see if they will improve your outcomes. Giving, for example, steroids, that's a common one that we've studied many times. Um, to see if that will improve your outcomes uh, when it, whether it comes to pneumonia or a severe infection. So we do studies all, all the time. In fact, once again, I just finished ICU yesterday. We enrolled two, two, uh, two patients in, a, in separate studies. It's a heavily studied uh, uh, specialty for sure. So Yeah, and, you know, Jack's question actually kind of shows, um, reveals, I guess maybe one of the problems that we have in that people, people think people expect that, you know, everything we do in medicine is like, you know, proven and, and, um, uh, you know, kind of textbook, I guess you would say, you know, that we all just have the textbook and doctors are so good at being doctors because they read the textbook, they memorized the textbook, and that's what makes you a good doctor. And the reality is, is that, you know, every patient is unique. Every situation is unique. Um, and in order to be a good doctor, you need to be creative. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, uh, I, you know, no operate, no two operations are ever the same for me. Um, and sure, there are the basic, you know, skills and the knowledge and, and you know, the anatomy and the physiology and all of that uh, that is common to humans. Uh, but every patient that shows up in front of you is a new situation, is a new patient. And it, this is what has made doctors so successful. And yet in today's environment, uh, that is now being actively discouraged, uh, you know, that we shouldn't be thinking outside the box. We shouldn't be thinking for ourselves. Just follow the guidelines, mm. uh, you know, is, is the mantra. So um, I think that's such an important point. And I think, you know, Jack's question, you know, just revealed that uh, um, people, people, I, Jack was thinking, I'm assuming, and I won't speak for Jack, but, you know, that you shouldn't need to do research in the ICU because you should have all the answers, you know, uh, we should know what to do. But the reality is we don't. And, you know, things that we think are the best way to go about things. You know, again, we saw this early in COVID. There were things that were tried and things that were assumed to be good because for other similar diseases in the past, these are the things that worked. And all of a sudden we saw that they weren't working uh, and they were, you know, harming people. And, you know, that uh, that meant we had to pivot and think of some other things to try and to experiment on and uh, see what worked. And, and now, you know, thankfully, two years, you know, two plus years into treating COVID, we're a lot better at treating COVID than we were uh, two years ago. All right. I have one last question. Um, and this, uh, I heard you use the phrase evidence-based. And I, I used to date a nurse. She was actually an ICU nurse. Um, and I heard the phrase come out of her mouth and I had a critic of Dr. O, uh, DM'd me on Twitter and, and his criticism was that he used evidence-based medicine and Dr. O doesn't or something to that effect. And as a layman, my assumption is that evidence-based means there is evidence that this works or there is evidence that that doesn't. I'm not altogether sure my understanding of how healthcare pr practitioners use that phrase, however, is accurate. What do you mean when in medicine you say we use this is evidence based? What does that actually mean? So, what it means is if there is, they're using 
quote unquote, the best data available to guide their decision. The problem with just evidence-based, if you, evidence-based decision-making is a couple of things. It depends on the quality of the data. Like, is it a randomized control trial? Meaning like, is it the highest quality of studies that we're using? And second part that we're, you know, I think as the years go on, we're going to approach this a little bit different. You know, what a lot of the people in the study, for example, in, in ICU might not be exactly that patient in that study, if that makes sense. Right. So, if sure. it, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like they might have a, they might be slightly older. They might have another com- uh, another medical issue. Um, so it's a, the way I always say it, it's a guide. It's always a guide. Evidence-based practice is, is a guide. But is that, does it apply to your patient? Is the data that's supporting it old, new, uh, high quality? Is there, is there going to be exceptions? Because, you know, often we don't ask in research, we don't ask the right questions. So for, say, for example, if you have high blood pressure, um, you could be given a medication. You and me could be given uh, uh, an ACE inhibitor, which is a type of blood pressure medication. It's going to work for you, but it won't work for me based on my genetics. And we don't ask that question enough. Like maybe it works well on specific groups, but not others. You know, it, when you do a study, it's a, a general group of people. They're not asking, we're not asking ourselves, you know, is there some nuance to, to sure. that patient group, you know? And so I'm, I'm giving a long-winded answer, this, but the, the gist of your question was that it best, based on the best data we have available, we're using that to guide that decision is evidence-based. Okay. That, that clarifies it for me. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for that. Well, Phil, uh, we're about an hour here and I hate to make folks go longer than absolutely necessary. Anything else we want to want to address with Quajo or more questions to throw his way? I I'm, I'm Uh, just hanging out. Yeah. I think this is a great discussion and, uh, yet another one that we will need to continue uh, in the future as well. And, uh, like I said, I'm just, I'm thankful that I, uh, uh, that we came across each other. Uh, you know, Quadro, I think originally reached out to me. Um, and, uh, I know my, uh, my life has been better for it. Uh, and, uh, my thinking around medicine, um, has certainly evolved from interacting with him. And I really, uh, you know, it, 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 needs to be said that, you know, what Quadro is doing uh, in the system, you know, he is a leader in the medical system and uh, he's trying to, um, you know, enact this change and we need more, more like him uh, to continue doing that. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, Quadro, give us the, uh, how folks can, can uh, follow you, get a hold of you, all that kind of stuff. We'll make sure this shows up in the show notes as well. Before I do that, I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing, folks. It's changing lives. It's impacting lives. And we're going to like one step at a time. We're making, we're making headway. And so I just really appreciate what you, what you guys are doing. Phil, I had to step up and talk to you at that conference. Cause I was so excited after hearing you on the podcast and hearing about your own podcast. And, and Phil did make an appearance on our show too, which was killing it. But um, <laughs> I love it. yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook at Quadcast. That's K-W-A-D-C-A-S-T. Our show is called Solving Healthcare. Uh, so, uh, and you'll find that uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts and uh, go to solvinghealthcare.com. And we also, lastly, have a wellness community for healthcare providers because of all the burnout that we were seeing. So mm-hmm. that's called solvingwellness.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook group with the same name. Just trying to make a difference, put a dent in all of this, and uh, we're trying to do it together. Quajo, it is such a pleasure to meet you. Um, I hope we hang out together somewhere sometime, just as long as it's not Canada in the winter. Oh, my um, God. I'll find you. Where, where are you at right now, Jack? Where are you I'm at? I'm in Phoenix. Oh, my God. That's, yeah, yes, gotta, that's where we got to go. We had a cool front come through this week. We're, we're only going to hit the high 90s. So, <laughs> And I like that. 
<laughs> Amazing. All right. Phil, any last words before I sign us off? Another great episode. Great conversation. All right. Good stuff. All right. For Dr. Philip Ovedio, uh, <laughs> I'm so worried about pronouncing Quadra's name, right, name that I've got yours got wrong. <laughs> Dr. Philip Ovedia and Quadjo Chairman, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Subscribe, follow, all that kind of stuff. If you listen to podcasts, you know how to do this. You don't need directions from me. And we'll talk to y'all next time. All righty. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.